Friends, once again, my name is Mitchell. I'm the pastor here. And of course, if you're a guest, we are really excited that you found us, um, especially if you've been just kind of scrolling through and stumbled upon worship. Welcome. We have been worshiping on Facebook and YouTube for the past several months, as I know the probably a ton of churches are showing up on your feed. So if you've stayed engaged, we're really glad you are here. Um, so wherever and however you are consuming worship this morning, uh, I just want to say it's an honor to be able to hold this space with you um, as we try to, to be the church uh, in this unique time um, in a very familiar season. Advent is the beginning of the liturgical year for us as a church, and um, we've spent the past three weeks in Advent in an Advent series entitled Joy in the Darkness. How do we, how do we find joy um, and also uh, be really conscious and aware of the darkness that is around us? Um, you know, Advent serves as a period of time of preparation and of waiting, of anticipation of Christ's birth in the world, which we obviously celebrate on Christmas Day. So we're well into our season. We're well into this, um, this opportunity that I think is afforded to us each year. And, uh, and I think it's getting to the point where we need to really start kind of paying attention to the rhythms of our lives, the rhythms of our spiritual practices. Um, how are we really getting serious about preparing for Christ's birth? Of course, there's tons of other ways we prepare for Christmas. There's hanging of stockings. And, um, you know, if you're one of the Elf on a Shelf families, like I know that that in and of itself brings a lot of uh, to do to go find that elf. There's there's presents to be wrapped and presents to be probably bought. If you're like me, still got a shopping list. There's a ton of stuff going on, but, but we are still primarily focused on what it means for God to show up in the midst of our world. And God chooses to really show up in the midst of darkness, in the midst of chaos, um, in the midst of a dimly lit world. And it's out of this idea of God choosing a particular way in a particular place in a particular context to show up that we've really kind of crafted this worship series in, in hopes that we'll be able to, to pay attention to the invitation that we all receive from this decision that God makes, that joy can be something we have, experience, and something um, that we desperately need. Because regardless of how pious we believe we are or how enlightened folks tell us we have become really so much, right? The vast majority of our spiritual journey is shrouded in uncertainty and mystery. We learn to, I think, survive this disorienting darkness, this kind of mist or fog that we see through. Uh, we learn to survive it through our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, the gospel gives us, I think, tools to survive this. And this is where we really place our hope. And Paul knows this well. He writes it in a letter to the church in Corinth. And he says that, you know, while we see dimly now in a mirror, Hopefully, right, we will see one day clearly. 
I like how another translation actually uses 1 Corinthians 13. It says, we don't yet see things clearly. We are squinting in a fog and peering through the mist. And yet, we still have hope. Hope for us is anchored in the story of Jesus. Hope is birthed to us on Christmas morning, and it gives us the capacity to survive the darkness, to survive the broken world we live in. But joy, I think, takes us a step further, takes us beyond hope, really beyond surviving Joy is the process, the experience of the divine that allows us to flourish here and now. Joy is the experience that we have of God's grace uh, over and over again, and we become comfortable with God's grace. Rather than letting it overwhelm us, we become grateful and we become at peace with God's abundance. And joy is the ability for us to celebrate this gift that God gives us each and every day, regardless of circumstance. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I've come to give you life. Not this grinding, difficult life. Not a life that we are simply created to merely survive, but a life that is abundant. Jesus' um, words in John's Gospel. Joy, then, is learning and becoming comfortable with this abundance. Joy is appreciation and application of God's abundance. So this Advent season, we recognize that darkness is, is rather palpable right now. I don't need to elaborate on that. I think we're all aware how dark and um, uncertain the world feels at the end of 2020. Yet, the gospel story reveals that we can experience divine joy in the midst of darkness, not in spite of it, not when it's passed by, but truly in the midst of darkness, we can experience joy. And we believe this because the gospel narratives, particularly in Matthew and Luke, these narratives of the Christmas story show us rather plainly um, how we can experience joy. Of course, these stories are familiar. Um, they are both overread and underappreciated all at once. But if we focus in on the text and focus in on what scripture is telling us, I think we can begin to see where joy not only emerges in the narrative of Christ's birth, but also in the way that Christ is birthed each day in our lives and in our communities and our neighborhoods. So just to recap real quickly, last week, uh, or two Sundays ago rather, we defined joy by contrasting it with happiness. Um, and we used the wise men and their journey and the decision uh, that they came to when they found Jesus to, um, to talk about what joy is in relationship to all those other feelings or emotions that we have. Last Sunday, we looked at the absurdity of joy and how joy is unbridled and kind of wild um, and how joy can lead to a prophetic witness. Essentially, we looked at Jesus's mother, 
Mary and her prophetic vision and song that she sings and is recorded for us. Uh, today, we look at this one simple element of joy that I think um, we must discover or trust or learn to trust um, if we're going to experience joy. And to help us do that, we'll, we'll frame today's uh, message around the most familiar of all texts. There's no doubt what I'm about to read you is probably the most read portion of scripture in the entire Bible. It is definitely the most adapted. Um, it's the most popular. And um, it is in Luke chapter 2, the verses 1 through 7. I invite you to hear these words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went out to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God our rock and our redeemer, the one who calls us to pay attention to how you choose to enter into the world. And may we have, of course, as always, the courage to follow where you lead. Amen. Right, in all of its glorified renditions and all the ways we seek to creatively retell these select verses in Luke. The story of Jesus's birth is, well, rather matter of fact. Beyond the fanfare we see prior and after Jesus's birth, the birth itself is rather and incredibly ordinary, which is almost a footnote in our current world, right? This current reality that we live in, this story is ordinary and boring and mundane. And in our current world, uh, I think we struggle to make sense of what to do with things that are boring and mundane and ordinary. In a time when we are encouraged more than ever to promote our own cause, to make a name for ourselves, to get published, or to have a blue check mark bestowed upon us by tech gods. In a world that encourages the unbridled pursuit of our own agendas, Luke's story is pier a piercing reminder that joy, not necessarily happiness, but joy is found in the quiet, faithful action that almost always occurs outside of the spotlight. We live in a world dominated by those who seek our attention, whether they're trying to sell us cars or trying to sell us new medication or trying to sell us a brand new financial plan. We are constantly being pursued by those who want to get our attention, 
That's true for also the sports industry. Uh, they have moved from community events to matters of life and death. Those things that once brought people together have now turned to be rather, uh, well, a blood sport. You, if you don't believe me, you should have heard what was coming out of my mouth on Tuesday night, right? We are um, inundated and overwhelmed by a 24-hour news cycle, um, in this kind of frantic communication style that exists in our world today, a world that is filled with advertising, it can overwhelm us, right? Blah, 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 blah. I think we know this. Just turn on the TV, look at your phone, see how quickly, right, someone is trying to get your attention. The truth is, though, that this isn't the opposite side of a coin for us. We actually, uh, we, we aid and abed uh, this world by our own desires, I think, to present ourselves in a fashionable or provocative ways on our own social media feeds, right? Whether we seek to influence thousands or simply to outshine, you know, that one annoying parent that's always in the carpool line taking ridiculous selfies, uh, I think we fall victim to this, hey, look over here culture. Hey, pay attention to me culture. Hey, stop what you're doing and listen to what I have to say right now culture. Whether it's self-inflicted or given to us, spoon-fed to us by corporations, we are um, trapped, it seems, in a world of self-promotion. And this glowing, posting, shiny, albeit empty reflection of the human soul is not then confined to our own individual desires. Even our churches, even our communities can fall victim to the need to do more, be more, achieve more world that we live in. Whether it's flashy and over-the-top monotony-busting antics or attention-grabbing actions, regardless of purity of our church's actions, regardless of how much good we are collectively seeking, it's clear that whether we are individuals, uh, institutions, or churches, right, it is clear that we believe change only comes when we can make our voice heard. But what happens, right, when folks stop listening? What happens when the neighbor we like or the parent we hope appreciates what we have to say? What happens when our coworker or our community stops listening to us? We then can begin to lose this feeling of importance, of self-worth, of, of happiness, right? All of a sudden, happiness becomes a rather fleeting thing. And all the happiness that we have begins to fade. And alongside it, our identity begins to be, sh be played with and it shifts on us and who we are and what we do, our identity and purpose becomes then vulnerable to the varying noise levels in the world. We are <laughs> merely blowing in the wind, as Bob Dylan would say, and how we approach the world and the noisy world we live in actually matters a great deal. The good news for us this morning, centered in the gospel, is that Luke, 
The author of Luke takes a very different approach and invites us, I think extends to us an invitation, um, an invitation to see Christ's birth once again, as we reflect on the same story, to see this birth as a radically different way to live out our faith. The author takes a precise route in journeying the Holy Family through the powers at B's world, right? And so for us to begin to reframe how Christmas calls us to live radically different lives and to find joy in unexpected places, we must first admit and become comfortable with this idea that Jesus' birth is indeed a political act of resistance in the midst of a particular political moment. There is no doubt about that. As readers, we must shed the kind of warm, fuzzy swaddling of this story that we often do if we are going to find joy in the midst of darkness. And to kind of highlight how we have to kind of put that aside and put the story in its proper, albeit short, shortly explained context. Uh, the first thing that I think we need to note here in scripture is uh, all the world is to be registered. This reveals the vast size of the Roman Empire. It reveals the, the amount of territory and the amount of people underneath Roman rule. All the world must be registered. It's a revelation of Rome's power and of the conquered lands that are underneath their care. And now the empire is going to take account, a census, because the protection and the services, the infrastructure and the government, right, that all takes money. And through military and force, the empire has created a rather peaceful, albeit constricting, existence. And many are flourishing in this environment, and all of this comes at a cost. And when the empire asks you to pay, it's best to pay. And in the middle of the census, Mary and Joseph show up. And they show up uh, with, without much fanfare. They have obediently decided to follow the census orders. And there's no doubt that these orders are interrupting the comfort of their home, creating unfortunate stress in the midst of pregnancy. It is an unwelcomed command days before giving birth. And yet they make the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And then they arrive in Bethlehem, the text tells us, and then Jesus is born. And that's it. That's all we have. That's the complete story of Jesus' birth. Mary and Joseph leave Nazareth because the empire has asked them to register themselves under a census. So they leave. They make the 80-mile or so journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Mary gives birth. That's it. There's no fanfare in the midst of Jesus' birth. That's the story the declarations of the angels, the promises of Mary's understanding that we read last week of who Jesus is, like all of that leads to this point in the story. 
And of course, later in subsequent scene, things will once again resume to their heavenly mantle. But here in the midst of the story, Jesus' birth is rather mundane and ordinary. We have two normal, unsuspecting Jewish people following the edict of an emperor who, uns- who then unassumingly birthed God's son into the world, and then they lay Jesus in a feeding trough. That's the complete story. And as I pondered how we can see this text for the, Dan, for the grand declaration we desperately need it to be, I was taken back by how quiet it all is and how simple. It reminds me, and hopefully it reminds all of us, that joy then is best experienced in the average daily routines of our faithfulness. If we're waiting for angels to show up to declare that it's now time to find joy, we'll be waiting a long time. If we are waiting for the perfect scenario or the perfect context in to which we do the hard things in life, we'll be waiting a long time. If we think that joy hinges then on uh, everything being perfectly aligned, we will be waiting a very long time. Joy is best experienced in the average daily routines of our faithfulness. It's not received as an award or bestowed upon us once we have been deemed the winner. It's not manufactured, and it can't be bought regardless of how much we're willing to spend. The element of joy is this. Joy is discovered in the quiet, mundane, boring, faithful lives we are often called to live. Of course, there are times that we need to be in the streets shaking our fist at the emperor. Of course, there are times that we must amplify our voice by whatever means possible. But joy, joy is most often found, experienced, and then trusted as truth through the everyday unspectacular obedience to God. In our look at me noisy, flashy world, there is a much needed place for ordinary people in ordinary communities that quietly birth God's desire into the world. There remains then for us an invitation this Christmas for us to find joy in the darkness where our love and our humility and our consistent commitment to something and someone remains strong. There is an invitation for us who in the midst of empire still allow our lives to be shaped and formed by a God who loves us so much that God shows up in the world. So friends, may we accept the invitation that Christmas once again delivers to us this year that joy can be found in the most unexpected, unassuming, boring, mundane, quiet places. And may we accept that as a more excellent way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.